0: Alright, and for the rest of us, we're going to be diving into a brand new message series. Isn't that exciting? We've got, you've got three more weeks with me, so this is going to be a three-parter, obviously. Um, but I'm just excited for what God's doing, for what, what He's uh, got in store for us. Uh, so we're going to be starting this new message series. It's entitled Elevate, and it's all about rising up above the struggles of this world. I mean, this world has some challenges, doesn't it? Right? Some serious challenges. We all face them, and we, we all face different challenges of different types. And you know, instead of going into anything specifically, the Lord is leading us into uh, the season where we're learning how to rise above whatever your challenge, whatever your struggle may be that you're going through right now. Uh, we're going to be learning how to allow the Lord to rise us above those things. Um, the truth is, before sin entered the picture, all of us well, all of mankind, we worked hard. But our work was rewarded. What you did produced fruit, right? Now, after sin, it's cursed, right? That was the curse of sin upon Adam, right? Eve, painful childbearing. You know, apparently wasn't painful before sin. Uh, Guys, you got to work with your hands. And at every turn, you're going to get opposed. Equipment's going to break down. People aren't going to show up for their shifts. I mean, you name it, right, it's not going to go right. I know in our house, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a successful project unless I visit the hardware store at least three times. Usually on that third time, I know I got it. It's, you know... <laughs> You guys know how it is, though. I mean, you get into something, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you had no idea that it revealed this other issue. And it's just like everything you do feels like it's always opposed, right? Now, beyond the consequence of original sin, when that's just the case, we also read in the scriptures about, right, Satan, who was once the the cherub, uh, you know, a guardian cherub in heaven. Him and a third of the angels rebelled against God. And where did God cast them down to? Straight to the pit of hell, no, wouldn't have that been nice? <laughs> God had a different idea. Hey, I'm going to cast you down to the earth. And Satan fell like lightning to the earth. And we all know the story from there, right? So not only is just this fallen sinful world opposing us, now we literally have demons opposing us and then Satan himself, right? I mean, literally opposing us. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And though we face hardships and challenges of many kinds and many different severities, right? Some of them are pretty easy to overcome. You're like, oh, pfft, that's nothing. You step over it, and then you find this huge giant, and you're like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, we, we face all of these things. We, we face them, but we have something with us that is greater than any challenge that we will ever face, right? We, we know that scripture, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? Greater is he. And so we, we have God himself, God himself with us. God chose to lower himself and to become just like, um, I'm sorry, yeah, we have all possession. You know, this is supposedly a real rendering of Jesus. I don't know what he actually looked like, you know. Um, but anyways, we have God who humbled himself, wrapped himself in flesh, and became just like us. He faced every weakness that we face. He faced every temptation that we faced. And yet he never gave in once totally sinless. He lived in the same flesh, and never once did he cave into temptation and, 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 and sin. Then he, he chose to take that curse, that curse that Adam and Eve, right? Sin came through one man, Adam, so forgiveness comes through the other man, a new life, Jesus himself. He took on that curse, We don't have to be cursed anymore because Jesus took on the curse. He literally took it on himself on the cross. He took on the punishment of sin. Jesus lowered himself in this way. And what did the Father do after he humbled himself in that way? The Father exalted him, right? Elevated him, gave him the name above every name. I mean, he's king of kings, Lord of lords. He's God alone. There is no other God. I mean, literally there's no other God, you know? God elevated him because he humbled himself. And what does Jesus choose to do? He chooses to see us with him in heavenly places. He chooses to elevate us above All of the challenges and struggles and sin and curses that we deal with in life. He elevates us because he broke that curse of sin and death and then he freely gives us life. You are elevated. That means you can choose to rise up Above all these things that the world throws at us, you can choose to do it. Jesus is enthroned over all, and he invites us to rise up, to come boldly before his throne of grace, and to have a seat with him. I mean, he gives us authority over all things. He elevates us above all those challenges. And I love it, because even before Jesus did this, God was still doing it. Because he's the same yesterday, day, and forever, right? We remember about that? Um, David wrote this in Psalm chapter 40. I'm just going to read the first three verses. David wrote, and we know the challenges and the opposition that he was facing. He was facing spiritual. I mean, all the nations were against him in the physical world. His king wanted to kill him because he was going to be the next king. I mean, he faced opposition in a way that none of us have ever faced. And this is what David wrote. He wrote in Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3, and he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And if you've never seen what waiting patiently looks like, I mean, read his life. He was, like, on the run for his life, trusting in God. He had the opportunity—he had the opportunity over and over again to take matters into his own hands. And all of his buddies and friends said, do it! Do it! You got it! Right? He's in the cave doing his business. Just kill him! End it now! And David's like, I won't do it. It's the Lord's anointed. I'm going to trust in his timing, right? Oh, man, were we able to do that? But he said, I waited patiently for the Lord— and, and God heard me. He heard my cry and he turned to me. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the muck and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and they will also put their trust in him. That's what David said about God long before Christ even stepped foot on the earth. You know, that he, he lifted him out of the slimy pit and he set his feet on a rock. And to this very day, God is still doing that for those who call on him, who patiently trust him and wait for him. They are getting lifted up out of the muck and mire and they're getting put on a solid rock. He is still saving and healing and delivering and restoring and reconciling and redeeming. I mean, he's still doing all these good things. He's still working all things together for good. He's still taking what the enemy meant for evil, and he's turning it together for good, right? I mean, that, 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 that is a quote from Genesis in Joseph's story. That even what his fellow brothers meant for evil, God allowed it. God allowed them to do those things, but he worked it together for good because of the decades where Joseph waited patiently and turned, you know, pits into springboards and palaces into prisons. You know, he waited patiently for the Lord to go ahead of him. Paul explained it in this way in Romans chapter eight, and we're just going to read a few verses. I encourage you to read this whole chapter. It's amazing reminder, amazing reminder of what we're dealing with and what, what our reality is. I'm <coughs> sorry. I'm starting verse eighteen. Paul said, "I consider." That our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. If you look at his sufferings that he was facing, I don't know how he can write this, but he did. And he lived it, and he believed it. And God's power met him where he was at. Our present sufferings, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is so much bigger than you and I. The entire creation is waiting for redemption through us. We play a critical role in history in doing this. The entire creation waits for us. And verse 20 says, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Right back at the curse when thorns and thistles grew up and snuffed out all the good fruit that was being born. It wasn't its choice. God chose for that to be the case. He chose for there to be opposition. Think about that. Some of you think like, how can a loving God allow us to be opposed and allow us to go through seasons of suffering and pain and loss and grief? How can he allow that if he's good? He's good because he allows it, as we'll learn to see as we grow in our faith. He says that the will of the one who subjected it, subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but even us ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, And we groan inwardly as we wait our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Because it is in this hope that we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Why would we ever hope for what we already have? And he goes on and he he, he teaches a little more. And then he says in verse 31, just for time's sake, what should we say in response to all these things? Everything opposes us. Creation's waiting for us to rise up and take our place. It's, it's subjected to all this opposition and hardship and whatnot. So Paul says, what should we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? You may face opposition in life. You may face impossibilities. You may be facing giants in life. But you can rise above it. If God's with us and for us, Who can be against us? And I always read that and I'm thinking, everybody. But the question rhetorically being asked is, who can prevail against us? And that answer is no one. No one's bigger than my God. No one is stronger than my God. If he is with us and he is for us, he may be allowing opposition. But guess what? That's just the battle. The victory is yours, right? There's opposition in the battle, but the war is won. The end has been written, you win. No matter what happens in this battle, you still win. That's the assurance you have with your faith in Jesus. So if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but rather gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against them? Who, those whom God has chosen? It's God alone who justifies. Now, when he asks that question, think about that. Who will bring any charge against God's own chosen? The church in this context, there are charges being written against them constantly. It was illegal to be a believer, as it is in many parts of the world right now today. You lose your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, it still happens in the world today. But, but Paul was writing, he's like, but who's going to bring any charges against us? Pfft, no one, because we win. Take my head, I win. I mean, you just, you can't stop it, right? I mean, you're a winner no matter what. He says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God. And he is interceding for us. God is for you. Jesus is sitting on the throne over everything, and he's cheering for you. He's interceding for you. He's believing in you. He has hope in you that you're gonna win. You're gonna overcome it. Yes, jazz hands away. It's right. Yeah, go Jesus. Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to embarrass you. It, it's awesome. It is right. Yeah, I, I can't do them right. I'm a guy, not cheerleader, but anyways. Who will bring any charge against us? Because it's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns no one? And he died and he rose again. And so in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, dangerous sword? No, as it is written, for your sake. We face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We are more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us and saved us, and nothing can stop us, right? If Jesus raised us above everything in this world, then nothing can get us down, right? Right? Except for one thing. No, not even the devil can get us down. Our own choice. <laughs> I am telling you, 99.99999% of the time, it is me who gets in the way of my victory. It is me who gets in the way of what God's trying to do. I, it's usually this thing up here. I usually open this thing in, in, in the middle of my face. I don't always know when to be quiet, right? Anybody amen that, right? Yeah, absolutely. We seem to always be the one that trips ourselves up. We who were created with free will, we get to choose always. But this morning we can choose to rise up above it all. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 10 teaches us that we can and we should do exactly this, but that it's a choice, but that it is a choice for us to be elevated and risen up above it all. Verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Right? You get that. You put your faith in Jesus, you've been raised with Christ. You're you're like the first, um, what do you call cars? hybrid. You're the first hybrid, you know. You're seated in heavenly places, but you're also here on the earth, like you're a hybrid. You've got both. You've got a new—you've been given the Holy Spirit. Your spirit's been raised a new life. You're like a brand new hybrid creation. So we are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, in heavenly places. But it says, since that's where you're at, Paul said, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, right? So if everybody's been shouting at me all morning long, USA, USA, four more years. We need to talk about the election. We need to pray for the nation. I mean, I, I preach to Jesus from up here because this is the answer, and it's the answer in America. We're, we're, we're a, a, a democratic republic, Right? The the top represents the bottom. Have you looked around the world today? Have you looked at our community? All the corruption in the world, it is representing. So what's the answer for Christians? Do this, and that'll change. When the lost in our nation will once again be one nation under God right? Reach the lost. Like, it's the answer. Jesus already gave it to us before the U.S. ever existed, you know, because we're pretty young as a, a nation, but we're going to talk about some of those things later, about how to respond appropriately, because I'm struggling in it. Um, so he says here to, okay, so you're seated with Christ, so set your hearts on things above, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, because in verse 3 it says, you died. You're dead, Right? Everybody here, at least at New Hope, when you were saved, you were water baptized in this, like, cool baptism mold that's under here, you know? It's hiding under there. It's, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but when you were baptized, that, that, right, that, that was your an outward sign that me, old Steve, die! <laughs> right? That's why we emerge. That's what baptism is. And then new Steve, Live! I died to my old self, and I raised up in a new creation. I'm a new person. That old person is gone. Every time Satan whispers in my ears and reminds me of my past, I'm like, uh, that, dude, that guy died like, you know, 20 years ago. I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, right? You know, you died. and you, But do we really kill those things? He reminds us, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear in glory. So in verse 5... He said that we died, and he said that we're seated in heavenly places, but now look what Paul tells us to do in verse 5. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, right? Sexual immorality. I love how the church always focuses on this in the United States of America, you know? We're always, no, you can't be this and that, there's more to that list. Things like gluttony, <laughs> greed. Those people also don't inherit the kingdom of God. So let's not just focus on one sin. Let's focus on all sin, right? Not just, can you imagine? I mean, we, we have potlucks and we like have like this table like this of desserts. Can you imagine if we did that with like sexuality? I mean, we do it with gluttony and it's just as much a sin. We glorify it. We encourage it, Right? I know, I'm, I'm just as convicted as everyone else is better. Come on, let's stop focusing on homosexuality as if that's the only sin that God doesn't care for, okay? Okay, let's take the splinter out as well here, all right? So let's do that. But put to death these things. Put to death sexual immorality. And Jesus said if you even look lustfully at a woman, you already committed adultery with her. So come on, guys. I mean, I mean we got some issues to deal with, don't we? Put to death that. Impurity, lust, Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We know it's coming, isn't it? Last time I read Revelation, there's only one person in all of creation found worthy to do it, but he's gonna crack those seals open. God's wrath is coming to this earth. And praise be to God, my theology, I believe I'm gonna be raptured out of it before it all comes, but you know. <laughs> get right now. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 24? If, if you knew when the thief was going to break in, you would have been ready. So guess what? Jesus is coming. It's one day closer today than it was yesterday. And if I look at the signs out there, it's coming soon. So just be ready. Be ready. Be ready for it. I'm not going to tell you day, hour, time because nobody knows it. If they say it, it's not going to be it. So you can rest assured on that night, unlike most people, okay? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Come on, church, right? We all used to walk in these ways. We live by this flesh. We all did it one time you just like them, so don't act like you're any better. You are what you are by the grace of God. He's the one that gets glorified, not us for who we are. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now, you must also rid yourselves of all these things. <sighs> Come on, Paul. Like, that was hard enough, that first list. Then he goes on to another list that you've got to kill and put to death. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. whoa Election year, slander. Y'all better be putting that thing to death, not not broadcasting it to the world, right? We're going to talk about that. (laughs) Slander. And filthy language from your lips. That's why Christians aren't supposed to curse, right? There's your scripture if you ever wondered. Same with dirty jokes. It's a little later on, you know. Yeah, you're not supposed to be doing those things. Filthy language, get rid of it, okay? Do not lie to each other, because you've taken off your old self with all those practices, and you've put on the new self. So if you feel like you're being fake to yourself, like you're just putting something on, that you're, you know, the Word of God tells you to do it. If you feel that way, then you're doing what's right. The enemy is deceiving you that you're still that old person and not that new person. If you feel unnatural doing something, like I used to say... Bler! or whatever SpongeBob sound makes when he curses, you know. If you, if you find yourself going to say that word, you don't say it, you're not being fake. You're not being a put on. You just put off the old self, and you put on the new self. That's a good thing. Don't let the enemy deceive you otherwise, because guess what happens? The more you train yourself to put on the new self, that's who you become, and the old self is gone. It's a good thing when that happens. So you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge into the image of its creator. So the choice of life and death, blessing and curses, is still ours for the choosing. Even after Christ took on the curse and gave us life, we still have to choose every day, whether we're following Jesus or whether we're following self. Every day, every decision, you're still choosing to be saved, essentially. You're choosing your faith. Um, Because what happens is we start looking a little zombie-like, don't we? That old self starts rising up. And we got to keep putting that thing back to death. I mean, this is a lifelong struggle. Paul said uh, this very clearly. He's like, you know, things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. And, you know, just I end up in a bunch of (laughs) doo-doo. That's what it is, you know. (laughs) It's a struggle that we all deal with. But that doesn't mean you just give up in the struggle and just slide back into your old ways of who you used to be. No, you keep putting on the new self and reminding that old self it's dead, okay? Sometimes zombies aren't easy to kill. you got to keep killing that thing in your life. you got to keep doing it and keep doing it until the thing's actually dead. Um, and this phenomenon occurs, right, every four years that reminds us very clearly how we have not achieved success in this, Right? We have this thing coming up called the presidential election in the United States, and man, do I love observing Christians in this season. You know, it's very interesting, these, these things that we have not done yet, you know, and this just seems to reveal it very clearly. Um, through this process, we see just how deep the mud and the muck and the mire of this world is, right? Are you seeing drain the swamp, right? I mean, muck, mud, mire, I mean, come on, it's there. It is there, you can't deny it. When When um, David wrote about that, he was describing the world, and man, do we live in it. You know, it is rough. Um, And, of course, our political system itself is pretty swampy with all these malinvalets and everything, and you can can get me started on all these things. But unfortunately, we as Christians, we all too often get caught up in the mudslinging as well. We get caught up in it. And I'm confessing that myself as well. I get super caught up in it myself. Instead of rising up above it and allowing God to elevate us onto his solid rock foundation, we end up wallowing in the things of the world as well. And I'm not saying that, you know, being politically active is, um, is wallowing in it. You need to. Christians need to get out there. They need to get informed. They need to vote. You have to do these things. I mean, I'm, I'm imploring that you do, you know. Um, but in all reality, even if our worst case scenario that we can imagine happens doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. It doesn't. We're going to talk about that. But unfortunately, what we do is instead of like rising up above the mud and mire, we cannonball into it. We're like, Woo! and I, I hurt myself last week, so I'm not going to cannonball off the stage onto the cement floor I I still got a bruise from that, but anyways, we do, don't we? We don't rise up above the mud and mire. We're like, woo, yeah, can you believe that? Oh, man, I'm going to share this out. Whoa, email time, YouTube time, you know, can you believe what they just said and what they just did? Ah, look what they just found. Look at this dirt they just found on them. Yeah, you know, and you put it out there, don't you? Right? Come on. That's what we do. That's not, not at all what the Founding Fathers imagined our political process to be. Not a bunch of mudslinging, and you vote for whoever looks. I, I can't stand that. I mean, and it happens on both sides of the fence. You have the debates going into the presidential election. This is a bum. Can you, do you see how he voted? Do you see who they are? Look at Biden and Harris. They're tearing each other apart. They're not fit their own country. They're not fit their own country. Oh, we're going to run the country together, and we're going to do awesome. That's our political, and it happens on the Republican side too. That's our political process in the country. Can you imagine it? What did Jesus say about a nation divided among itself? It will fall. It cannot stand. So what did the United States people think? Mm. Oh, yeah. Democrat, Republican. Let's divide it up. Let's see how that goes for us. We'll be stronger as a result, right? That's not what Jesus said. I mean, I'm going to preach what Jesus said here from this pulpit, and I still believe it firmly. You know, it's a shame to see what's happening it's just, man, it's, it's, it's almost like, like, like sometimes I watch the TV and I'm just waiting for the grown-ups to step in and lead our nation, you know? Like someone just bank these people, put them in timeout, whatever you gotta do, because this is pathetic. This is childish. You can't tear each other apart and then the next month support each other and act like you're gonna do something great. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense and both sides do it. It's sad. It's pathetic. A bunch of mudslinging. You don't win elections that way in my opinion. I've lost respect for just about everybody, you know? I mean, I won't say who I support from this pulpit. You probably figured that out already, but come on. It is sad and pathetic. Like, the name calling? Come on. Can we please mature a little bit? I I like Trump. I like his policies. I don't like him as a person. He's arrogant, prideful. I mean, he calls people names. When he, I was remember watching the press, I promise I wouldn't do this, but I I watched, I'm I'm sorry. I remember watching the press briefing when President Trump called uh, Kim Jong-un rocket man. I'm like, oh, dude, like, he probably just hit the button to launch it at us. Like, we're probably going to die now, you know? I'm like, how can you do that? I love the guy, but come on. Like, seriously, please. But you know what? He's kept us out of wars for all these years. So anyways, anyways, I'm not going to get political from the pulpit. In, in, in private, you can talk about it. You can ask the kids. They get tired of me watching stuff all the time. I watch both sides, by the way. I'm not, I am not one that is just, you know, I, I don't just stand with one side or the other. I stand with whoever's making the right decisions for the nation. And it's just embarrassing to watch both at this point, you know. But anyways, um, but what happens in this country? We see a short video clip. Look at, look at the culture and the climate and the temperature of, our, of our, our culture. We see a short video clip and we allow it to completely radically transform how we see things. Completely radically transformed. We stereotype and we make decisions based on all those things. You know, you see a little video clip. One person making an awful, horrible decision that they never should have made. And we just stereotype all others based on it. It can cause us to either want to defund the police, right? Or it can cause us to be like, send in the National Guard. Let's get this thing straight, right? That short little video clip and the entire nation is divided and, and, and split about things. It can cause us to despise those protesting for social justice. Just, just send in the military and put them to an end. Or it can cause us to want to speak up for those unheard voices. Those people that have been just, you know, neglected for too long and, and to rise up into social justice. Just a simple audio bite or video clip can cause us to believe all kinds of things about our, um, you know, the opposition, you know, China, they're not that bad folks, folks, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard that audio bite, you know, over and over and over again, people love to do that, that is, but seriously, as, as, as kingdom people, we should know better than to allow anybody to take an audio bite of our past and to paint a picture that that's who we are, Right? Can you imagine if someone did that with you in your life? Taking your worst moment and saying, this is who that person is. But let me tell you, that's American politics in a nutshell. And Christians eat it up and love it. They take that worst part of that person and they share it out there for all the world to see. Shame on us. You shouldn't be doing that to your neighbor down the street. You shouldn't be doing that to a nation's leader. You shouldn't be doing that to a congressman. You shouldn't be doing that to anybody. You don't do that. You don't just believe the worst about somebody because of a moment in their lives, but that's what our political system is, and that's why I want nothing to do with it. I participate in it. I write to my legislatures. I go through the appropriate processes, but it's kind of broken right now, right? It's because of the people in the positions, Um, and I love it because here here it is with Christians. All you have to do— and I've seen it over and over again because I'm a tech guy. Just just put up a link somewhere or shoot out an email that says, oh, guess what, you, guess what we caught on a hot mic with Biden or with Trump? Clickbait. Man, you can infect them with any virus you want. They're so gullible. They want to know the dirt on Hillary, and they'll watch videos and get viruses. You know, it's, just, it's pathetic that we do that, that we fall for it. We want to see the worst about somebody. We want to see the dirt on somebody. It's just, it, guess what it is? Flesh. <laughs> That's not spirit-led. That's not spirit-led by any means. As believers, we should not be so easily manipulated about, uh, you know, the world about us. Jesus said that we're the salt of the world, but if the salt loses its flavor, what's it good for? You want to lose your saltiness as a follower of Christ? Then start getting involved the way that the world gets involved in politics. Start mudslinging. People will lose respect for you in a heartbeat. I've seen entire churches split and fall apart because of politics. That's why we don't get involved in it here, you know. Um, because we need to have a vision far beyond the next four years. And we ought to stand on truth, not what the media is portraying as truth. We really ought to see that by now, right? We ought to see there's a bigger picture here. doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. I think the American people are smart enough to see the agendas behind the media and behind the Netflix series and behind the TV series that are out there. We're smart enough to see that there's something else behind the scenes that are making these decisions, right? There's more. There's agendas that are being portrayed here. And we ought to be smart enough to rise up above them and not to cave into them and to give into them. Um, Far worse than this, I, I love this, false prophets come out of the woodwork every election season. And they will tell you and quote the scriptures about how your candidate is God's chosen. And the other candidate, well, last time I checked, his name adds up to 666. He's the Antichrist, right? Every single election year, you have prophets that rise up in the body of Christ on both sides to paint that picture. God's chosen the Antichrist, and you'll, you'll see it on both sides. Oh my goodness, do we not understand what prophecy is for Prophecy is for strengthening, encouraging, building up. Last time I checked First Corinthians 14, that's not prophecy, dividing people and, and, and tearing people apart and calling them the Antichrist. I mean, I don't want to stand before Jesus when I falsely label somebody as the Antichrist. Can you imagine? Man, wow. Anybody can grab an audio clip or a video clip of anybody and make it look like anything they want it to look like. If you don't believe it, I could do it for some of you this morning. I, I've got some, anybody want to see who I picked? No, I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. You know what I would want to show? I would want to show you at your best. I would want to show you you when you're exactly where God wanted you to be, right? Not at your worst moment, because guess what? I've got my own worst moments that you could show, right? None of us want to do that, so don't do it in politics. The truth is, we can be who God called us to be. We can do what God calls us to do. No matter who is in the White House, no matter what nation you're living in, if you're watching a YouTube prophecy and it applies to the U.S. and only the U.S., I don't know how, I, you know, we just question it, okay? We need to test every, every prophecy because the truth is no one and nothing can ever stop us, right? Oh, that's yeah, that's how we live with our social media today. We need to seek out the truth. We need to rise above it. Because the truth is nothing and no one can stop us. If you look at the early church, if you look at the the persecuted church today, it doesn't matter. I don't care what they legislate in Washington, D.C. It can't stop you. It cannot. Even if they choose to confiscate this church building, guess what? It doesn't stop you. You can still love God and love others. You can still win the loss for Christ. You can still be the church even without a church building. I'm not all that concerned about what happens. Now, do I speak about those things and write to my legislatures about? Yes, absolutely. I believe there is a huge move to silence Christians. But guess what? I fully expect in the United States of America for Christians to be fully silenced according to the law. Why? Because Jesus said, every nation will hate you because of me in Matthew chapter 24. Every nation will hate you. I'm not going to be surprised when that legislation happens. And also, I'm not going to care when that legislation happens. I'm still going to keep preaching what the word tells me. You're not going to shut me up. I don't care if we're meeting at, you know, the Blosses' house one day and the Cromer's house the next day. And we have no church building. And the police come into our house and arrest us. I'm still going to keep teaching and preaching because that's who I'm called to be. It doesn't matter what happens. And guess what? The church grew the most when that exact thing was happening People's personal property was being confiscated by the government. They were being thrown in prison. They were being put to death. And guess what happened in the body of Christ? Daily numbers were being added of those being saved. Daily people were putting their lives in the hands of Jesus to be saved in that atmosphere. So come on. You're not stoppable. You're not. It doesn't matter what happens. Because the one who's seated on the throne is greater than the one seated in the White House, right? Come on, act like that, Christians. Believe that, live it. He's greater. doesn't matter what happens out there. Nothing can stop you from what God has called you to do. So please rise up above it, especially in election seasons. Um, In fact, we read that in uh, the end of Galatians chapter 5, that there is no law that can ever stop you from bearing fruit. No one can ever draft any law that can stop you from loving somebody from being gentle with somebody, from being patient with somebody. Nobody can ever stop you from being what God has called you to be. It doesn't matter what law they try to, you know, when I listen to some of these testimonies of the persecuted church, this woman was thrown in this little like shipping tin in the hot sun and never fed. And every day they come in and just beat her. And they couldn't stand it because she kept saying, I forgive you and I love you. And that would just make them more mad. and they'd try, They couldn't stop her from doing it, from loving them and forgiving them. Be like that woman, please. You're not facing anything like that. No one can stop you, church, from being the church, from fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given you, and from living a fruitful life. No one can ever stop you from doing it, no matter what. Um, let's take prayer, for example. You know, I hear the, the, the boomer crowd always telling me, eh, they took prayer out of school, you know. I've been in the school, and I see prayer happening all the time. I go over to a certain elementary school, I'm not going to mention, and I see teachers walking around their classroom praying over each one of those seats. I see kiddos having prayer meetings, and Bible studies at recess time. I hear kids praying all the time. Prayer has never been removed from school, and it will never be able to be removed from school. As long as somebody is willing to pray, and you don't even have to do it out loud. These people are doing it out loud. They're bold. You can pray in your spirit, and God hears you the same. You can never stop prayer in schools. I mean, come on, seriously. Prayer's never been removed from school. You want to know the honest truth? I don't want those teachers leading my students in prayer because who knows what God they're going to choose to pray to, okay? Prayer has never been removed. It's always been happening, even in our local schools, Prayer is still happening, and it's happening more and more as these days grow darker and darker, you know. um, She's retired now, so I think I used her name, but Janet Lorgan, who came here a few times, you know, plugged in for a while. She was my third grade teacher over at Shenanah Valley Elementary, you know, and I remember her praying. Like, prayer's never been removed from school. It doesn't matter what the law says. You can't stop it. Can Can I legislate a law to stop you from praying right now? What if I told you right now there was an executive order. President Trump decided it is illegal to pray in a church building. Can it stop you? No, So stop acting like it does. Grow up and rise up, please. Grow up and rise up. Stop being such a voice into politics and start just doing what you're called to do. Some of us are so busy fighting for our rights that we forget to exercise them. <laughs> You forget to exercise your rights because you're too busy fighting for them as if though anybody can even take them away from you. They can't be taken away. I don't care what laws are drafted up there. You still can be the church and do everything God's called you to be. If you don't believe it, read through the book of Acts. Read through the New Testament. The church grew and prospered under persecution. Don't let it come to that. (laughs) Please, grow and prosper now don't make God bring down the persecution to show who's real and who's fake, okay? Let's be for real now and be the church and do what he's called to be. Now, think about this. When, when you face opposition, uh, I, I had the privilege of being able to beat the Western Mokin football game the other night. You know, and Isaac did an amazing job, by the way. Um, yeah. When, when, when that receiver receives the ball, do they go up to every single defenseman and get around them? No. They find the open hole and they run for it. What if we looked at ministry that way? Because you have been handed a ministry from all those. The Apostle Paul, he handed off the ministry to somebody who handed it off to us, who handed it off to, you know, thousands of years. You have been entrusted with a ministry. It's been handed off to you. Are you going to stand there and be like, okay, well, we need to get this law changed and this law changed and this person needs change in this office? No, just do what you're called to do. Grab the ministry and run with it. Just do it. it doesn't matter what opposition exists out there, it doesn't matter what defense rises up against it. Just do what you're called to do. Stop waiting. On, you know, there's the other thing that we do. We know we're supposed to be out there on the field and we know what position we're supposed to play. But we just sit out there until, like, you know, one of the coaches decide to put us in. I've seen this happen the other night. The coach is like, come on, get out there. What the heck's wrong with you? You're supposed to be out there, you know? You know that's, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Don't wait for someone to be, to, to grab the, the anointing oil and to be like, okay, on this day of September, I now anoint Nathaniel to reach the lost for Christ, you know? And then he's like, oh, finally, now I can do it. No, do it. Do what you're called to do. Just get out there and make it happen, right? Don't wait for somebody to—why wait for people? You know what fear of man is? It's a snare, and it's going to stop you, and it's going to trap you. Get out there and do what you're called to do. Yes, we have structure and order in the church, but it's so that everybody can reach their full potential. Remember, I, I likened it to lattice with a vine, The church organization and structure is just there so people can grow and reach their full potential without tripping over each other and doing all that stuff, you know. But out there in the world, don't wait for an an evangelism event to reach the lost. Reach the lost. Get out there and do it. You don't have to wait for some church-ordained event, you know, to do something. Just be the church. Be the church and do what you're called to do. We need to live out our faith like that wide receiver who gets the ball. Don't let anything stop you. You know, spin around that opposition and find your hole and just run for it, you know? Stop waiting and trying to, stop trying to think that you can get rid of all the opposition before you move. Can you imagine if a wide receiver did that? He just stood there and waited for all his offensive line to get rid of every defenseman, to push them off the field. Then he decided to run the ball. That would never happen, right? Stop waiting, And just start serving. Get active. Because each one of us has a worldwide platform, thanks to the technology in the world that we live in, to tell people about Jesus. If you did a bubble cloud of your social media feed, you know what most people would look like? Trump, Republican, you know. Jesus would be like, really teeny tiny. Come on, what are we doing? What are we using our resources for? What are we using our resources for? Are we using them for the kingdom? Are we using them to build people up? Are we just using them to spread the latest conspiracy theory because that's what our itching ears want to hear, right? The the latest mudslinging. Use it to inspire hope instead of fear, right? You see so much floating on social media. I mean, we even talked about this morning, I've seen the posts where, you know, that they're going to test your kid for COVID in school and they're going to swipe them off and you're never going to see them again, you know. Social media is being used to spread all kinds of fear, And has it happened once? No. So why do we as Christians start spreading that stuff and believing that stuff? It's not even truth. It's a potential. And guess what? That potential has always been there. The potential exists right now for them to come in and take your kids and take them off. They want to do the potentials there. Am I going to cower in fear in my basement, you know, because of it? No. Do what God's calling me to do and trust him with the rest. Trust him a little. Don't use it to spread fear. Use it to spread hope. Use it to encourage and build up people instead of to tear down people. This valley of dry bones that we live in, this hopeless world, all their hope's been swallowed up, you know. They're waiting for a prophetic voice to speak some life and hope to them. Guess what? You are that people, you have that hope. You have that reassurance. So start speaking that out in the world that we live in. Um, sure, the mud and Muck and Mire exists. This country is in bad shape, and it has some really serious problems. We need the hand of God to intercede and to intervene and, and to do some work. We, we need to get rid of some muddy, you know, uh, swampiness in, in our country. But we need to do what God's calling us to do, right? Instead of getting caught up in, in all of this mud slinging, making people look bad. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, So I'm going to skip everything else here and get to the point. Because the point is, we've been entrusted with the same ministry, equipped with the same Holy Spirit, and sent out with the same mission that the early church was. And if 120 people in the upper room in the book of Acts could be used to start a worldwide ministry that would last for centuries, that would last until Jesus returns. What can he do through your life? He can do amazing things if we just choose to rise above the muck and mud of the world and to set our eyes and to set our heart on the things above. If we choose to rise up above these things and to allow Jesus to elevate us, we could be unstoppable, unstoppable for Jesus. And perhaps it's just that we've lost our vision. Perhaps we've, we've just lost the passion of the Great Commission of what we've been called to do. You know, perhaps it's just because we're so used to hearing what our itching ears want to hear that we, we just stop listening to the Holy Spirit. We think it's the voice of God, but really it's just what we want to hear. Perhaps we're too worldly-minded, and we just don't, don't see the Spirit within ourselves anymore and, and our capabilities that we have. But it's okay. Wherever you're at, we always start by confessing the truth. Jesus, this is who I've been. This is what I'm doing. And then you ask, Lord, please forgive me for that and, and help me to start living for you again, not to let the world stop me. Forgive me for getting caught up in the in, in, in this mucky, miry, mud mess of the political system that we're in and help me to speak truth into the political system and to make it what it was supposed to be once again. You know, pray prayers like that. Because this is what God said about you through the prophet Isaiah. God said this about you. Whatever challenge you're facing... Whatever circumstance you are dealing with, whatever battle you are in the middle of, and you feel like just giving up, God said this about you. And he starts out a little negative, Isaiah 40, verse 27. I'm going to get to the above the couch in everyone's living room scripture, but you've got to read the full context. Why are you complaining? <laughs> Let's start in verse 27. Why are you complaining? Come on, right, church? Why are we doing it? Why do I watch YouTube video after YouTube video of Biden and Trump out doing their thing and just embarrassing myself? Why do I waste my time with some of these things? Why do you complain? Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary. He will not grow tired. His understanding cannot be fathomed, and he gives strength to the weary. He increases power to the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and they fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not grow faint. And so it's time for us to rise up, to allow Jesus to elevate us above the muck and the mire of this world and all the challenges that it throws at us. And it's time to rise up above the current political process. It's pretty mudslingy and miry, isn't it, right? It's time to grow up a little bit and to stop participating in those kind of activities. It's time to stop stumbling and to start soaring. It's time to shake off that mud and mire that's been, you know, just just weighing us down for so long by worldly things. To shake off those worldly things and allow Jesus to elevate us above them all. To break us free from those things. As we fix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on heavenly things, we will be elevated in our understanding. We will be more effective in our ministry We will be able to speak truth and stand firmly on it because that truth is Jesus, our solid rock. Now next week, we're going to learn about how to see what God is doing through life's challenges. So if you're not sure what's happening and why God's allowing certain things next week, we're going to learn a little bit on how to see. Because that's the first thing in Colossians chapter 3 he he encourages us to do. So we want to set our sight, set our sight on heavenly things and learn how to do that. So right now we're going to take time to pray And uh, after this, you know, we have the altars are open If you have anything that you're facing that you want prayer for Please come forward If you need a prophetic word, please come forward We want to just minister and pray with you And uh, seek after God together with you So, Jesus, uh, you see the mess that this world is in right now And Lord, it's yours Everything here is yours It is your creation So, Jesus, forgive us for getting so muddy in the things of this world. Forgive us for being mudslingers, wanting to share the worst about people. Forgive us for being that way in politics and in life. Jesus, help us to put on your prophetic bifocals that we see the mud and the muck and the mire that's there. But help us to also see your potential And give us boldness and courage to speak prophetically into that muck and mire. Into that valley of dry bones so that it can rearrange and come to life. So yes, we can be great again. Not only as a nation, but as a people of God. We want the world to see your greatness. We want the world to see your glory. We want the world to experience your love and faithfulness and kindness and gentleness, Lord. Lord, let it start with us, your people. Jesus, we thank you for being with us and for us through it all. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise. To rise us above, like like on wings of eagles, Lord, to rise us above, to elevate us above the muck and mire of this world. And to soar with you, with Holy Spirit, with you filling us and being that, that wind under our wings, Lord, filling us so that we can be lifted up and soaring high above it. Jesus, we thank you in this challenging season that you are our victory. Your healing, your deliverance, your re- restoration. Lord, everything good is waiting for us on the other side. So we're not going to give up. We're not going to give in. We're not going to wallow in the muck and mire. We're going to grab the ministry you've called us to. And we're going to run with it to that finish line. We're going to run with it to that end zone. We are going to run, Lord, and not grow weary. We gonna, we're going to walk and not grow faint, Lord, because it is you empowering and equipping us every step of the way. Lord, we're no longer going to keep our eyes fixed on the defense and the challenges ahead of us. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on the goal that you're calling us from in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, time to rise up. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's going to be good.